Welcome to the Drum History Podcast. I'm your host, Bart Vanderzee, and today I'm joined by Director of Product Development, Raymond Massey of Pearl. Raymond, welcome to the show. Hey, Bart. Thanks a lot. Great to be here. Man, Pearl drums are just... You can't think of drums without thinking of Pearl. You guys definitely have a, uh, a huge role in, in, the, in the history of drums and the market and all that stuff. So I'm excited to learn about the history. Um, why don't you just take us back to the beginning of Pearl? Okay. I'll tell you what I know. I'm, I'm not the definitive expert, but um, I'm happy to share. Sure. You know, um, basically, Pearl was founded on April 2nd, 1946. That's my birthday, April 2nd. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> our, our founder was Katsumi Yanagasawa. It started out, uh, you know, at the end of World War II, you know, Japan was in the throes of being rebuilt. And uh, Katsumi-san used to make music stands. So the very first products were music stands out of his small shop in uh, the Chiba, Japan, just outside of Tokyo. Hmm. Boy, that's fascinating. So post-World War II, I, I imagine that uh, it's so interesting because on the show, we talked a lot about um, European drum ba- brands with, with post-World War II and, uh, you know, the R- Slingerland and the Rolling Bombers and stuff, but you don't really, you don't hear much about the Japanese brands. So that's fascinating. Yeah, so he was making music stands, and you know, during that time, I would say the late forties, uh, early fifties, uh, Western jazz was becoming popular, and uh, in Japan, and there just wasn't a lot of drums. You know, the servicemen, USA servicemen, were coming to Japan, and they wanted music, and people were hungry for music, and uh, the school system adopted Western style music classes, and and uh, they needed drums. So Katsumi-san started making drums hmm. after music stands. And, you know, if you think about it, drum set, 90% of a drum set is hardware. Yeah. So if you've got metal chops, you know, making a round cylinder out of wood, and, of course, there's integrity and pride in that, but um, it's it's – Make it, the metal part of it and having that under your belt a, a good leeway and good head start to making a drum set. Let me, man, I love this. This is just, I didn't know it went back that far. So what is, if, if you were going to find the like, the like crown jewel, you know, vintage, vintage pearl, how old would that be? Like how old is the earliest drum set that you know of? Like, I know you said fifties ish. Is that, are there drum sets from the 50s that are Pearl? Well, they are. But the thing is, they're not actually called Pearl. Mm. They were a lot of... See, when Pearl started, he's, Katsumi-san, he was, he was making these drum sets, but he was making them for a, a lot of different people. Retailers all over mm-hmm. the world that wanted to supply drums. And they were brands like Westbury and... Uh, Sentinel, Scott, Crest, Apollo, Baxter. Uh, Then later on came, of course, Maxwin and and CB700 and Lido and stuff like that. Okay. But the probably the the one kid, if you can find one, 
uh, and you see them from time to time out there, is the President series. Yes, yeah. And the President series, that was probably, you know, Pearl's finest introduction into the uh, drum manufacturing time. You know, it featured phenolic shells, which are sought after, actually. People love that sound. You know, phenolic is a, a, a plastic-style resin paper. Uh, and, you know, the kits consisted of, you know, 22, 14, 13, 9, 16, 16, and snare drum. Wow, that's so cool. I think, so Pearl, obviously, is is a part of the, uh, the OE, what we'll call it, the OEM, the stencil, the... Um, MIJ, the Made in Japan world, um, which I, I have a, an old MIJ kit. Um, that is such a neat piece of history in itself. And I did an episode on that so people can listen to that. But um, it's it's very cool. And, and obviously, though, it's pretty clear that they, like Tama, they went the way of, okay, we're going to make drums for other people. And then they said, okay, we've got something here. Let's make our own drums and put our own name on it. Do, do you know where the name Pearl, where did Pearl come from? Uh, that's an interesting story. Um, you know, uh, Katsumi-san had a friend uh, that was helping him in the beginning when he was making music stands and making these drum sets and, uh, his friend owned a, a retail store in Japan, and he sold musical instruments and stuff. And, um, you know, at the time, we were, you know, Pearl was making all these OEM kits and didn't have their own identity. And he thought about, what can I call the company? Because, you know, I want something that resonates with the entire world. There's something that's beautiful and something that's held in high regard and, uh, you know, he was proud to be a Japanese manufacturer and he wanted to make the best drums and musical instruments that he possibly could. So his friend suggested the name Pearl. And Katsumi-san liked it. Hmm. And he thought about it. He's like, you know what? The, in Japan, you know, it's famous for pearls. Some of the best pearls in the world come from Japan. And it's and it's also something that the entire planet, you know, holds in high regard. You know, pearls are 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 yeah. beautiful. You know, people, uh, ladies like them. You know, it's the it's the, the whole thing. It's a wonderful piece of jewelry. So that's hmm. where the name came from. God, that's fascinating. It's it's kind of silly, but like I just I almost I don't know if I've ever equated the name Pearl in the drum company, and it seems so stupid now, but to an actual pearl from like an oyster. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you think of it as synonymous just with, this is the name of the drum company. So sometimes your brain doesn't like put it together that like, oh yeah, duh, it's named after the beautiful pearl. Cause it's, you know, sought after and everyone likes it. Um, that's cool. That's fascinating. So, um, all right. So started in the late forties, then they're making OEM drums for people basically through the fifties. Correct. Yes. And then, when would you say, so in the 60s, is that when they started to become Pearl? You're exactly right. All right. So then what happens then? I'm sure Ringo had a big, uh, you know, that like everyone, that probably helped uh, <laughs> make things, uh, the world of drummers, you know, blew up. So I'm sure that helped their their business a little bit. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the demand for drums at that time was was very heavy. And uh, Pearl, you know, company was growing under the direction of uh, Katsumi-san. And his son, Mitsuo Yanagasawa, uh, was going to college, Chiba Technical College, uh, and studying to be an engineer. So he started helping out his dad, you know, through school. He's helping out his dad, then finally came in as a full-time employee and knew that, you know, we need to do something to meet this kind of demand. So he wanted to put a plan together uh, for a big factory in Taiwan, you know, because they had the small factory uh, in Japan. They were making drums, and that's where our office still is. When we go over for corporate meetings, the uh, the the old factory's right behind the office building. So Masuo-san knew that in order to supply and meet the demand of the world, they would need a large factory. They would need automation. Uh, so he was one of the first uh, manufacturers to go to Taiwan. You know, at that time, yeah. it was it made a lot of sense from you know, a manufacturing standpoint. And they built a 43,000 square foot factory, you know, and yeah. they and they started making all kinds of drums out of that factory, percussion instruments and, 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 uh, you know, symphonic stuff and, and, and even timpani. Wow. So, so Mitsuo, uh, and he was working for the company when I started still, when we would go over to corporate meetings, he was still the chairman. And, uh, you know, he had vision. He knew that to meet that demand, we need to automate. Because at the time, the drums that were being made in Japan were almost handmade. They were made out of uh, some equipment that uh, Katsumi-san purchased and uh, some he had made. But this was the big, you know, I would say in 1961, um, that's when it really started taking off hmm. yeah interesting and then a couple years later i'm sure it took off even more with uh, like we said just the world of drums blowing up um okay gosh you know taiwan has such a um i'm sure it's manufacturing of all kinds but uh, with with drum making it's such a uh it's such an integral part and i didn't know it went back that far i thought it was more of a modern thing where it's like you know chipping or, or where manufacturing goes back there is there a simple answer to why Taiwan is so good for manufacturing effectively and affordably? Well, you know, it's always been affordable. Yeah. And in the very beginning, you know, um, the workers, they had, they had to be taught, you know, the mm -hmm. products coming out of Taiwan, in my opinion today, rival anybody's. Some of Agreed. the best, some of the best drum sets in the world come out of Taiwan. Ours do, our most yeah. high end, and we we think they're the best drum sets in the world. We believe that they yeah. are, and it, it in the beginning, you know, of course, it's like any manufacturer. There's they weren't really making musical instruments in Taiwan. It was cost effective, a good place to set up factories. So he did have vision in that regard because prior to that, think about it, things were being made in Japan you know, in, in America, 
but you know standard living was was going up in Japan and it was you know regulations so it was it was a bit tougher to manufacture in Japan and be cost effective you know on the in within the world market yeah okay no that's that's interesting all right so we're in the 60s um any other things in the 60s or do we just kind of roll into this uh, into the 70s i mean i guess pearl is building itself uh, a na- as a as a name I, I know that a lot of uh, towards the end of the 60s and into the 70s, I know a lot of uh, American drum companies were were really starting to worry and take notice and say, oh, geez, these these, uh, you know, companies from the Far East are, are giving us a run for our money and people are liking them because they're they're great drums. You're exactly right. And Pearl always took pride in creating a tremendous value and quality. And their drum system. That's what made export so successful. I mean, we've sold well over a million export drum sets. And if you think about it, when export was introduced in, in 1982, uh, it, it changed what a uh, entry-level drum set should be. Yeah, I want to, let's do the 70s, but I think the export, we can stop there for a little bit and talk a lot about that because that's just... I mean, I feel like you could, in a crowd of people, not even crowd of drummers, you could like just say, hey, who here has owned a Pearl Export set? And at least like one person in any room will raise their hand and be like, yeah, I had one growing up. Um, but all right, so the 70s, um, I love the catalogs and stuff too. There's some really neat catalogs and, and, and beautiful drums. Yeah. In the 70s, they just started breaking in the United States. And probably, I think what really, I mean, drummers knew about it. Uh, guys like Art Blakey and, and J.C. Hurd and stuff like that. Those guys, American artists that were going to Japan, especially jazz guys that were playing, because jazz is always was popular in Japan. You know, every everybody in Japan knew Pearl. So these guys were getting to know Pearl. Pearl was asking these artists for their opinions about products. And that's one thing we've always done. We've always asked artists you know what do you think of this how can we make a drum set better and then we listen then our engineers take notes and they change the products but in the 70s the break in the u.s you know kiss was a Mm -hmm. big big part of that early 70s with peter chris you know and even on the back of their records they always had you know uh kiss you know plays Pearl drums exclusively because they want the best. Yeah. That was on the, on the back. And a lot of kids read that. And at the time, you know, we were having trouble finding uh, distribution in the U S there was a, a company called Chicago musical instrument company, CMI that uh, was a, a, probably the largest distributor of musical instruments in the U S at the time. And there was a division of that company, uh, called LD Heater Music. And uh, Heater Music took on Pearl and started making headway in the West Coast. And the guys at uh, Pro Drum in Hollywood were very instrumental in getting, uh, you know, guys in the 70s to switch and play Pearl. You know, that guys would come in Pro Drum and, and looking at gear and they would say, hey, you know, this is a new company. You should check out their drums. And uh, slowly, people started switching and playing Pearl. 
And throughout the 70s, uh, LD Heater Music Company was eventually absorbed by Norland Music. And Norland at the time was owned by Gibson Guitars, uh, you know, they, I mean, they own Lowry Organs, Gibson Guitar Distribution, uh, and they really started putting Pearl out there in the U.S. Heck, I remember seeing the first uh, acrylic Pearl drum set when I was a kid in 1973 at a music store in, in Newport News, Virginia, wondering, mm -hmm. I'd never seen it before, and it was a red acrylic kit, and I was like, who, what is this company? You know, and then I, I saw a Kiss album and put two and two together. You know, wow, the power of being like an impressionable young kid and seeing that logo and just like it, it's like mesmerizing. Like, there's it's just so funny. It has nothing to do with the sound, it has nothing to do with, I mean, it does, but like you just see it and you connect with it. And that's that's a powerful thing. Can we pause? I just want to ask, all right, so two questions the shell construction i know earlier on it was like a lot of those kind of mij the the oem stuff were like kind of a a, a luan right like a um like a thinner wood what type of wood would they typically be made of? well in the very beginning they were i mean we used luan like everybody which is a uh basically asian mahogany it's a mm -hmm. it's a porous wood it's soft you know it's in believe it or not it sounds really good it does with the, with the right heads, and yeah. it, as long as the shell's constructed well, with that, it's if it's round and flat and has a good edge on it, uh, they sound wonderful. In fact, uh, the late Tommy Wells, a Nashville drummer here that uh did lots of recordings, uh, he would swear by in the 80s when I start when I started at Pearl and stuff, he would come into the office all the time and he would go, Man, these exports. They're the bomb. I use them on sessions all the time, hmm. you know. Wow. But yeah, Luan, but we also had our Phenalic. Uh, we had fiberglass drums. Yeah. So at that time, you know, if you think about it, especially when you look at some of the American drum companies, Maple really hadn't come into play yet. Sure. You know, a lot of guys were using Poplar, Mahogany, you know, different shell blends. Uh, but the maple thing didn't really happen until I think people really wanted beautiful finishes on the outside of drums, lacquer yeah. finishes. And that era of, um, you know, the 70s and the 60s, I guess, had such cool finishes. I mean, there are just, that was my favorite, looking back through catalogs, that was just my favorite um I guess you could say period of these just far out finishes. And I, I posted something on um, the drum history Instagram of, of uh, it was a Pearl uh, drum catalog from 1968. And there was um, tiger's eye and sparkling gold pearl and sunset and light blue <laughs> pearl. And, and I said, yeah, what do people like, yeah. like the most? And it was kind of a, uh, it's just funny. Cause I said, Hey, what do you guys like? And I got a ton of answers of people saying, um, I, they people said I love the blue pearls. Everyone really likes the tiger's eye. Um, it's yeah. just very very neat. Um, so that's just that's a that's a part of history too. Is, is the drum finishes. Um, now another question, and then another one popped up too. But I also want to ask you: Is there any story behind the logo? It's a pretty simple script pearl. It sort of changed from the earlier 
era where it was kind of more, um, it was less uh, um, stylized. But is there anything about the logo where that came from? Well, I'm not really sure where the one that, you know, in the 60s, a lot of people affectionately referred to it as the pig logo. Hmm. Because it, because the way the the pearl is written and it's it's got these arches above and below the the word pearl and the L looks like a little tail. It looks like and huh. it looks like a little animal. So that's that's funny. Yeah, it is kind of funny. But the the newer version, um, in our tagline, you know, the best reason to play drums came from Terry West, who is uh, actually our current. CEO in the United States, but he started out here as the uh, ad director and, uh, you know, was responsible for all the ads and, and the marketing and, and the basically shaping the modern Pearl. You know, him, he, and uh, together with uh, Mr. Takasomi uh, and, uh, you know, Mitsuo and uh, our current chairman. Uh, Mazakatsu Yanagasawa. Hmm. So, is it has it always been in the same family? Yes. As far as it is, wow. That's that's the funny thing. You know, a lot of people, you know, we talk to over the years don't realize that Pearl is a family business. It's not some public company with investors. It's it's a private family owned business by the Yanagasawas. And right now, uh, our current chairman, who you know is Mitsuo's son and the, and the grandson of our founder uh, Katsumi-san, is uh, Masakatsu, and he's still mm-hmm. very active and and still you know the driving force behind you know our company. You know, we take pride. We want to make the best drums in the world, best sounding drums, best quality. You know, for a fair price. Hmm. Gosh, that's that has happened. Uh, I think most recently, I, I I did an interview with um someone from Vic Firth, and I was like, "You guys are mega. You're huge. You're massive. You're a big company." And he was like, "Well, actually, there's like six of us who work here." <laughs> Just <laughs> like, uh, I mean, obviously, there's a bunch of people at Pearl, but there's you, you. You're right. You think it's like this big public company, but uh, it's a family company. That's so cool to um to know that. I, I think that marketing has a lot to do with people just kind of thinking that that a company is 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 massive and mega which you guys obviously are a very big company but um it's still got that that family tie which is so cool um my yeah. last interjecting question that we can carry on is you said the 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 fiberglass um so i have uh where i work gwyn sound there's a wood fiberglass kit there that um Someone, I've mentioned this on the show before, someone before my time bought a bunch of like studio essential drums, like a Dynasonic, a Superphonic, um, Sabian studio hats, uh, regular hats, perfect, just very essential items. And he bought a uh, wood, a pearl wood fiberglass kit, bunch of toms, 16 and an 18 inch floor, which the 18 inch floor is just a beast. Um when did those come into play? Because those those are pretty pretty popular too, and and 
how does that construction work with mixing the wood and the fiberglass? Well, they came into play around the same time as mid mid to late sixties. And the fiberglass, you know, it really adds a lot of high end and pop. I mean, even I think Neil Pert used to talk about that. There was a guy up in Fort Wayne that they called it Vibrify and Mm. uh, some of those earlier kids he did, but you know, fiberglass adds, a certain amount of brightness and, and, and shell rigidity, you know, to the, sure. uh, so it's, they're louder drums. Um, but we even had all fiberglass back in the day. And a lot of people don't even know that this, that, uh, even Steve Gadd, some of his, when he started out his career, a lot of the toms you heard were pearl. People hmm. like those fiber, single headed fiberglass toms. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Kind of a style, um, especially the single-headed stuff. That's uh, Those are coming back, though. You see a lot of the concert toms now with people um, making a resurgence. But uh, Yeah. Uh, all right, so back into the history here. I think we were in the 70s. Any other things of note there before we hop into the 80s, which I'm assuming I kind of think of Pearl as just something must have switched in the 80s, where I guess Kiss had a lot to do with it, but it just... There's a lot of, you know, heavy metal drummers who played Pearl. Yeah. I mean, when we basically in the, in 1979, we separated uh, from Norland and Gibson. And uh, at the time, Masuo-san decided that it's, it's time we control our destiny. So he said he bought property here in Nashville. And uh, we also had different distribution centers. We had one in Texas, one in California, one in New York. We were kind of spread out with smaller, all uh, owned by Pearl Japan, wholly owned, uh, all across the United States. And then eventually we consolidated all of those into the Nashville office here on Metroplex Drive. Um, And in the early 80s, around I think around 1983, uh, he opened up another uh, Pearl Japan-owned distribution center in Milton Keynes in the UK. Hmm. You know, and and you got to remember too. Even during that time, we had about 70 different distributors all over the world. So in the 80s, what Pearl looked like? I mean, you had Pearl Japan, you had Pearl Taiwan, you had uh, a small factory uh, in China, you had Pearl, you know, Europe come into play in, in the 2000s. Um, just a good breach all over the world. So to get back to your question, yeah, in the 80s, things really started to take off and Pearl started making more and more high-end drums. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, you had the export, of course, in, in 82, but in the mid-80s, you had the GLX, you know, it featured the uh, uh, Super Gripper lugs. There was a lot of innovation. They had electronic drums, the Fight Man, Pearl cymbals. But MLX, that was key in the 80s because that was probably, and still to this day, my one of my favorite Pearl shells. It's the six-ply, 100% maple shell that's 7.5 millimeters thick and the old mlx drums had the long lugs and you're right i mean kiss was happening you had percaro 
you know, all these guys just people really putting Pearl on the map. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm looking on Vintage Drum Guide too, kind of while we're talking at some catalogs. There's looking at one from 1978. It looks a lot different from the catalog from 1980, where just the first one you see, it's just it's bigger toms. The hardware oh. looks thicker. It looks more yeah. heavy duty. There's you know, there's four floor toms and they're huge. Yeah. And there's one here um, that I think is worth mentioning of um, the Roto Rock, which appears to have like kind of a Roto Tom looking uh, thing above a drum shell. I've never seen really anything else like this. That's. Do you have any knowledge of that? Of that? Yeah, I remember seeing those, um, especially when I was a kid. You know, because the Roto Tom was relatively a new thing from from Remo. Yeah. And uh there was a gentleman by the name of uh Randy May who came up with that system. Hmm. And that was his system and basically we just distributed it. But it was a way to, you know, people like the sound of Roto Toms and of course if you turn them you could tune them pretty easy as yeah. well. But just to get a little more projection. Hmm. I remember those, yeah. Yeah. For people to visualize it, it's basically a drum shell like a regular five-piece kit but there's no top head and there's a roto tom kind of connected above so it projects down into the drum um (laughs) that's such a you don't see stuff like that as much anymore i guess you do there there are a lot of different things popping up but um yeah the electronics there's just all kinds of stuff in the 80s now the export it seems like it changed the landscape of like a beginner drum set, like you said. Like it, it defined what well, you're right because at that time, when when export there the if unless you wanted to buy a real professional drum set, there wasn't much to, else to choose from. You either mm-hmm. had to go big, or you had to get some stuff that was, you know, okay, but it would, you know, break and yeah. and just not be so so great. And when export came out, it it really defined what a, a kit could could be. I mean, the hardware was super heavy duty. The drums sounded great. They tuned well. It was a tremendous value. For how for did the they do that? How did they? How did they? I guess the answer is just well, they know what they're doing and they create good stuff. But like, why would they? Why would Pearl be the first one to realize and say, "Hey, we can make a drum set that's really nice"? That's not like how did they cut? Ca- cut the costs and save that money to make, to make that kind of thing. It seems like someone would have done it before, I guess, or maybe, maybe just no one did it. Nobody did it. Pearl did Mm. it first. And that Mm. was Matsuo realizing that, you know, cost of wages and materials are higher in Japan. And then you had the U S companies in cost of manufacturing the U S is not cheap. And he had the vision that if he went to a place like Taiwan, he could make really good drums and make them affordable. We we yeah. Pearl was the first one to start that train to get everybody to move, you know, factories and different places. Well, it's it's neat too because um, I'm sure most people stuck with Pearl, but I think we all agree as drummers that the best thing about any piece of gear is something that gets people playing the drums and starting into drums because it cross industry cross uh cross uh company it just helps because then people are buying symbols 
they're yeah. taking lessons. They're you know, they're doing all this. So um, it's good. Yeah. It's healthy. We want people to play, and there's nothing. You know, if you if you're learning on an instrument, and I, I've personally taught lessons before, I try to tell students, and I think it's a good idea that if you're going to learn on something, learn on something good that's playable. Because if yeah. it's not and it doesn't sound good, it's not playable. It's a negative. It's going to be a turnoff. You know. So yeah. And yeah. and and our vision has always been to make great products. And during the '80s, in that time, you know, a lot of people don't know that uh, we also they were going. We we were making microphones, guitar amps, uh, guitar effects. It was you know electronic drums, but <laughs> eventually. We focused just on acoustic drums with a lot of innovation. I mean, the gripper lug was very innovative for the time, a kind of a quick release lug. Uh, the oversized lug, which was, uh, I don't know if you remember, there was uh, some drums that we made that had, uh, like if it was a 12-inch tom, you put a 13-inch hoop and head on it, you know, yeah. and and they sounded. I played one of those kits, uh, a gentleman uh here in Nashville uh named Tommy Winkler had one of those drum sets and he had a drum shop in the in the early nineties here in Nashville that uh he had one of those kids that really sounded phenomenal. So it's kinda like a uh almost like when you see like a gong bass drum where it's like the head is bigger. What like what is it what is the sound? Is it is it a little bit more like um because is air escaping a little bit out from the having the wider head and rim? And then like, how, what does it sound like? Yeah, it's just more of an open sound. If you could think of the difference between die cast and a triple flange, mm-hmm. it's just a lot more open than a triple flange hoop. Hmm. But it was kind of, you know, depending on how you're playing style, you had to be careful doing rim shots and stuff on, on a kit like that because, you know, you could run the risk of uh, the stick hitting the shell. Yeah, and with with kits like that, it's obviously super cool and it's great for innovation and people buying them. But if you are like a normal Joe Schmo and you're going to buy one, let's say, $1,000 drum set every 10 years, you might not splurge and spend it on the kind of unique... not gimmicky. That's not the word I'm looking for, but that, that like innovative one where they're releasing it for a few years. You know what I mean? You might buy the like uh master series or whatever it would be called. Um, so yeah. drummers <laughs> are conservative yeah, and they, sure. and especially when it comes to, you know, spending your hard on cash, you want something that you can take to a lot of different gigs, uh, play a lot of different styles. Uh, you know, also I'd like to mention another thing in the eighties, uh, Pearl introduced the uh, championship series. We got into the mm. marching business, cool. you know, because the drum corps international DCI groups and and high schools are starting to to get more serious about their halftime shows and band and and uh, we got involved in that activity. And we make some of the best marching products out there. We make the yeah. best, if you ask me. Yeah, God, I mean. That's one of those things that that is a massive, I'm sure, a massive part of your guys' business because there's there's so many schools and you see Pearl at a lot of them. I mean, and you see that big oh, logo. Yeah. That's that's great because then those people, hey, maybe they have a drum set at home. I play Pearl at school. I'm gonna go home and buy a Pearl drum set. That's whoever did that's got to be a <laughs> gotten to that has has to be a uh, 
you know, feeling pretty good about spreading the business even more. But the 80s was, I mean, Pearl was really starting to come in to to their own because you had marching, you had WLX, you had innovations like Cable Hat. You even had our CZX series, which these big, thick 10-ply 12.5 millimeter shells, you know, with square sized times because, you know, 80s was metal was popular. Yep. You know? Yeah. yeah. And the hardware. So maybe we, I know everyone loves hearing about like the hardware. Hardware and snares are something that I, I, I think we, we can, uh, you know, pause on too because uh, later on, you know, the Pearl like Eliminator is one of those pedals that's sort of a, uh, a staple pedal I, I think the eliminator the 5000 and the iron cobra are like you know there's there's a 90 yeah. percent chance you're going to see one of those on, on someone's drum set um the eliminator was i mean that pedal is still a great great seller it's a it's it's a great pedal because you yes. can interchange the camps and it's got a very another unique feature that it's it was based on its predecessor, the power shifter. And the mm -hmm. power shifter had a three-position heel plate that you could it could move the heel, you know, closer to the bass drum, uh farther back and then farther back again. And the way I like to think about that is it's it's as if you're holding a drumstick. And it it does the same thing to that pedal that you would think of if you're holding a drumstick. If you choke up more toward the middle, you're going to get a, a, a kind of lighter, more articulate feel. And as you back and go toward the butt of the drumstick, you get what? Power. Yeah. And and then with the Eliminator, oh my gosh, four different cams, you know, everything from just, you know, regular round cam to, you know, a very aggressive uh, or red cam that kind of just drops off, you know. Um, it's, it's, you can get any kind of feel you want out of that pedal. And that's what we wanted. We wanted, hmm. you know, as players styles change and the music or whatever style they're playing, we wanted to make a pedal that everybody could get what they needed out of. Yeah. That's extremely innovative. I've never, I've owned one, but I've never actually experimented with, um, switching out the cams and it, it seems really easy and um and and just kind of fun where you can mess around with it and it's neat because you don't need to buy another pedal <laughs> you no, know you, you don't. don't need to say okay this one's a little looser this one's a little uh you know that's that's really cool and and the um even the the like tom mounts like the pearl you know the I, i've heard countless people say and it's almost funny that like they'll be like um like the pearl t mounts are very like sturdy and reliable. And these vintage guys will say, yeah, someone um, like a, a, like a Ludwig top hat and cane kit, someone drilled it out and put a pearl mount on it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, which, you know, that's like sacrilegious, but um, it's, it's funny because a lot of guys, they'll, these, these old uh, drum sets will be modified to have pearl hardware because it's just reliable and it works. Yeah. A lot of people during that time in the, in the eighties and nineties, and even to this day, yeah, they our hardware, you know, is the best in the industry, and we're one of the only companies uh, that offer a lifetime warranty on our hardware, and we mean it when we say it's like Craftsman Tools. You buy it once, you play it for life. 
You know, wow. we're gonna we're gonna stand behind it. And you're right. It's it's the Tom Arms. You know, especially with the Unilock Tilter, we were the first ones to to come out with a. Uh, it's not a ball joint. It's it's a brake system. You know, even though ball joints are basically gearless, uh, mm-hmm. but this was a very very good innovation that we came out with. Uh, introduced that for our cymbal tilters and our uh, Tom Arms. Yeah. So wait, if I didn't know that, so if you, how does that warranty work? I'm sure, you know, some people don't know about that. So if you have any piece of Pearl hardware and it breaks, then do you just like, how does that work? Well, it starts after a certain period of time. That lifetime warranty uh, start started June 15th, 2009. Okay. So, so prior to that, it's just a regular three to five year warranty on most most products but uh, in 2009 we introduced the lifetime warranty so how does it work if you buy a pedal and uh something breaks on it or the tilter doesn't work in your stand or something happens like that and as long as it's not abused and and uh, just used under normal circumstance we replace it hmm. and that's cool you only do that if you trust your gear enough to the point of it's, you know, like you can stand behind it and say this isn't going to be uh, every 10th stand you sell is going to break. Obviously, it's reliable stuff and you 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 believe in it. So that's really cool. I'll let you in on a secret. The amount of warranty uh, replacement parts that we put out is unbelievably low. Hmm. It's It's a fraction of a percent. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, and that's why yeah. we do it because we stand behind it. We, you know, we've always followed, uh, you know, our current uh, chairman's Mazakatsu still believes and mandates that we make the best possible product we can. Hmm. Wow, it's awesome. That's that's an, it's 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 good to know that. Um, just if anyone does have a problem now, they hear this, they can say, "Oh, wow, I didn't know," and and that. That just makes it makes the company look good as well. Just to know you have that peace of mind. It's like you buy a car and you have the warranty. You just kind of feel you feel better as you're driving down the road. All right, so let's move into. I believe we're in the '80s. Let's move into the '90s. If there's nothing else uh, really to discuss in the '80s, so then into the '90s, what what happened there? In the '90s, uh, probably the most notable. Uh, of course, you know, our marching products were getting better, but we introduced the Master Series. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a, prior to that MLX and stuff, everybody was doing the the, the long lugs on drums. So the, the Master Series, when it came out, it had split lugs, uh, Super Hoop 2, which is our 2.3 millimeter uh, triple flange hoops. That was huge for us, and we offered masters in maple and birch, and uh, eventually got into different versions of maple mahogany and all mahogany, African mahogany, and also in the nineties we came out with uh, Masterworks in nineteen ninety nine, and Masterworks is our flagship series. It's our top of the line series, uh, and it is probably I would hands down the most customizable drum set there is basically if you can dream it we'll build it you have your choice of woods choice of hardware all you know several different lugs three different styles of hoops custom paint job i mean we've had 
guys send in uh, pieces of their car, articles of clothing, you know, copy a drum set, you know, uh, I want my drum set to match this, you know, but you can change your baronet shape. Uh, you can absolutely touch and customize every point of the drum size, uh, barren edge, hardware, and finish. Mm. Uh, and we have a specialist on staff because, you know, we call it uh, decision paralysis. <laughs> because sometimes yeah. when, you, when you really do, the sky is the limit, and you're getting ready to, to drop a bunch of money, you want to make sure you're making the right choice. So we have a full-time Masterworks concierge, Mr. Tom Storch here, that is available. He talks with consumers, talks with dealers to help guide through the process. And it really starts with the drummer. Like, number one, what how do, what are you looking for? How do you, what's your in, in game? What kind of gigs do you play? You know, what kind of sound do you want? And we help point them in the right direction, you know. To, to all that stuff, to the wood choice, you know, exotic yeah. veneers, you know, different paint, uh, bandage to make sure they're happy. And even to the point to where if they want a special color, we'll send them a swatch, you know, and sometimes it takes more than one swatch before the customer goes, that's it, make it match that. And then at the factory, we keep, we make an extra drum of every Masterworks kit we make. And we keep that file and formula and keep that drum, you know, in case somebody wants to add on or, you yeah. know, sometimes these kits are used in catalogs and somebody wants to order one. Hmm. Man, you're exactly right where it's just like everything in life. There's If there's too many options, it's it hurts you almost. Like if you're picking a paint color for your house or something like that, like if you narrow it down to three and say, pick one of these three, you're, you're bound to choose a little bit better. So it's great. You guys have someone there to help you. I mean, man, what a cool job he has helping and, people yeah. <laughs> go through that. And it's a truly a custom drum set. You know, a lot of companies, they'll just go, well, you can change this and this, and then here's your color palettes to choose from, you know, hmm. but, but we, we let the customer choose the wood and shell thickness. And you can you can decide on the ply layup. If you want maple and mahogany and you want mahogany on the inside, but then you want maple and you want X number of plies of of this wood and that wood, and you want it to be this thick, you know, you can every single drum can be made different within a drum set. The funny thing is, you know, our reference series in in two thousand was born out of our masterwork series. And I'll, I'll talk more about that when we when we get into you know that sure. time period. But I think the most notable things in in the in the nineties were the you know of course masters uh, you know our marching drums were really hitting the mark. We celebrated our fiftieth anniversary and uh, we introduced the world's truly most customizable drum set. Do you have any like? Um like anything that comes to mind of like this one, you know, um, crazy millionaire guy, he made his drum set match his Ferrari and he did this, these wild combinations or any, are there any like, you know, kind of crazy custom shop ones that, that come to mind? 
There was um, Ricky, the late Ricky Lawson had a friend of his that was a a, a big wheel uh, at Microsoft that he wanted a drum set to match his Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> so we got we we even got to paint from you know Ferrari paint, you know, oh, wow. and, and and painted the drum set. But uh, the probably the most ambitious drum set as of late uh, is for uh, the cigar manufacturer, Mr. Nick Perdomo. Hmm. Uh, he's a good friend of all of ours here. He had a, he wanted, he's, you know, he makes the world's best cigars and, and his, some of his clientele are, 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 are very wealthy, but yeah. he wanted, he introduced this new cigar that had this label made out of gold foil and different different metals of tin and he was like i i want to i want to put this on the drums i want to put this on every one of my drums and we were like you know first we got to make sure we can there's not going to be any reaction between the paint and and you know can we get it onto the shell and will it last so it took about a year and a half to go through different tests but we were able to do it and that oh, was one man. of the most crazy ones uh as of late that we built. And of course, some of the kits we built for Tommy Lee and uh, Joey Jordison at the time and uh, Dennis Chambers. I mean, Dennis has had some wonderful Masterworks kits. Yeah. These have to be, rightfully so, these have to be expensive. I mean, if you're getting painted like your Ferrari or if you're getting it wrapped in, you know, cigar kind of foil that takes a year, these have got to be some pricey <laughs> drum yeah. sets. Yeah, Nick Perdomo's drum set was yeah. There, it's it's like buying a, a high end car. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Okay, um, but well, it doesn't we'll always have to be like that. I mean, no. Yeah, I mean, you can get you can spend you know on the street five or six thousand dollars or or you know as yeah. or as as much as you want. It really just depends on how far you go. Which is the price of like a nice custom drum set. Like we all, we all kind of know that. Um, yeah. Now I remember playing, I think it was, I did the guitar center drum off when I was younger. I think the first one I did was in 2003. And um, that was my first experience playing Pearl drums was they would have, I believe a um, Pearl masters, I guess, maple um, set silver sparkle and that was like the set that you would play in the guitar center drum off. And I was just like blown away at how good they sounded. I was 13. So I was used to just having a, I think I had a big old Ludwig um, 80s rocker two set at that point that did not sound as good because I didn't know how to tune it or anything. So that was my first Pearl experience that was just uh, kind of mind blowing how good they sounded. Yeah. Yeah. The Tom's. You know, we're yeah. known for our, our tom sound. They speak well. They're just not all thuddy. You know, you can really get some resonance out of them. That's a great highlight in the 90s. So let's chug on into the uh, into the 2000s there. What what happened then? Oh, 2000s. Well, on the marching side, we, we introduced carbon ply uh, snare drums, but also on the drum set, carbon ply maple. So we started putting, you know like the old fiberglass drums were made, we we introduced where you could put a carbon ply inner ply and it really made the drums extremely loud. Uh, 
But even more important than that, we introduced our award-winning reference series, which won numerous awards all over the world. And mm. the premise of the reference series was born out of our Masterworks program. We, we kept seeing a trend of what guys wanted. You know, certain guys, you know, if you think of the drum set of all the different tones and sounds you want, you don't want the same sound out of an eight and 10 inch Tom as you do your floor Tom. They're tuned different. You want what you expect to hear is completely different. So looking at trends and masterworks and thinking about even the most original drum sets back when they used Chinese toms with tacked heads and the guys had these, you know, wood blocks and everything. It's like, why are we under the mindset of where if a drum set all has to be made out of the same woods when what the sounds you want vary differently from each size? Obviously, you're not going to tune to 10 the same way you tune a 16. So we we thought, well, how can you accent what you want to hear? And that's where reference series came into play where, you know, basically the only drum that's made out of 100% of one kind of wood is a 12-inch tom. And everything smaller than a 12 uses birch inner plies, you know. Uh, and then anything bigger than a 12, the drum shells get thicker, the barren edges get rounder, and African mahogany is added to the inner plies. So mm-hmm. you, to capitalize on that low end, so, you know, birch has more attack. It makes sense to have it on your smaller drums. And African mahogany it makes sense to have it on your larger drums to accentuate those desired tones. Yeah. Wow. You're totally right. Why? I think with a lot of things with drums, we do things because of tradition where we've done it before. You know, we cymbal stands are like this for however long. Well, you know, I, why not change it? And we listen to artists and we've always have listened to our artists and drummers to figure out what they want and how we can make it better. Another landmark product, is our Demon Drive pedal, which is our P3000 series, Direct Drive M. I mean, that pedal has, you can change the, it's got two cam positions. It's got a, it's a convertible footboard from longboard to traditional style. You know, once again, in in Pearl fashion, we want to give the drummer options so that they can dial in the product to meet their individual needs so it becomes their voice. Gosh, that's so cool. And I mean, the quality continues, obviously, and Pearl has very consistently been one of the top players in the game. Obviously, that's still true today. Um, Not jumping ahead, but uh, it's Casey Cooper on YouTube has got to be one of the most um, almost like Kiss, you know, where you look at the back of the album and you see it. So many people... I'm sure so many kids watch Casey Cooper and his YouTube channel and see his Pearl drums. And that has to be a great, he has to be one of the, you know, biggest ambassadors to the brand right now. He's a great ambassador. What a wonderful guy. First class, top notch gentleman, uh, really believes in the product. You know, yeah. he, he, he really plays it because he believes in it and he loves it. He is a Pearl fanatic at heart. Yeah. Cool. So um, I just jumped ahead there. I mean, he's been doing it for a long time, but yeah, it sounds like you guys, uh, the 2000s has been good to you. Is there anything in the works right now that, uh, you know, Pearl fans can be excited for? Well, you know, 
I can't. There, we of course we've always got things cooking. I mean, we we plan out years ahead. Sometimes it takes, uh, you know, several years for a product to come to fruition. Um, but yeah, to, I, the only thing I can say is uh, next year we're going to have s- some cool new products. Nice. As we wrap up here, I think uh, I usually say, "Why don't you tell people where they can find you?" Everyone can find Pearl. <laughs> pretty quickly so obviously there's uh is there anywhere that they should go directly i'm assuming pearldrums.com yeah actually it's pearldrum.com okay if you if you go to our website you can see links to uh there's a page on there that's got a complete list of pearl dealers authorized dealers for the usa so you can search by state and by dealer's name and uh yeah i mean we're accessible you can find us anywhere Gotcha. Yeah. Pearldrum.com. People can visit that and check it out. Um, they, uh, they're awesome drums and let me give a quick shout out here. So this is just kind of funny. So, um, uh, Ted Richardson who sent me a message requesting, he's like, you got to do a Pearl episode, um, on March 5th, 2019. And it is now August 26th, 2020. So I I always kind of say this on the show, but sometimes these episodes really do take a very long time to um, to get going because, I mean, you and I have been kind of going back and forth on email for for a long time now and things would happen and you were on jury duty I think, for a bit. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's but it's it's finally here and uh, I'm just really excited. If you're listening to this, it's already out in the world, but Pearl has a huge following and I, I'm, I'm very glad I can finally get an episode out um, to because I don't, I do this, I interview people all the time about drums and I'm looking at drum history stuff constantly. And I didn't know 90% of what you said about the history of the company, starting with music stands, post-World War II. I didn't know any of that. So I, I think people are going to love it. Good. Good. Well, well, Bart, thanks for connecting and uh, happy to do it. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, uh, we love drums. We love music and we want to make the best products, musical instruments we possibly can. Perfect. Well, you're doing it. Awesome. Thank you, Raymond. I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Bart. If you like this podcast, find me on social media at Drum History and please share, rate, and leave a review. And let me know topics that you would like to learn about in the future. Until next time, keep on learning. This is a Gwyn Sound Podcast.